My name is Kyle McFarlane, and I have the pleasure of serving as one of the elders here at Veritas. I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving on Thursday and were able to take a moment to reflect on the goodness and kindness that God has shown to you, your family, and our country. I also hope that everyone has gotten all their turkey naps out of the way because today we're taking a break from 1 Corinthians and we're going to go through the whole book of Jonah. So our normal mode of preaching is to go through a book verse by verse and take our time through it. And we've been going through the book of 1 Corinthians for the past several months. We finished chapter 8 last week and are at a nice break as we get ready to come into the Advent season in Isaiah starting next week. So today we're going to go through Jonah. If you go ahead and grab your Bibles and move there, it's in the Old Testament towards the back, a little more than halfway through your Bible. If you don't have one, we have some Bibles on the back we'd love for you to grab. If you don't own a Bible, please keep that as our gift to you. If you were brought up in church, then you're likely familiar with the story of Jonah in some fashion. It's very popular because it is a very memorable story. It was also taught really well in the old school flannel graphs with the big colorful pictures. What I remember being taught about this story is that Jonah ran from God's call to go to Nineveh. He was thrown over the side of a boat and was swallowed by a big fish. Then he was barfed up on the land and finally went to Nineveh. The highlight of the story was that this big fish swallowed Jonah, and that was the connection to Jesus because it foreshadowed Jesus' death and resurrection. Does anybody else remember the story that way, with the fish being the, the main goal or main character? I'm sure that I was taught more about it, but it shouldn't be the only connection to Jesus that we see in the story, and we're going to look through that today. What I hope to show you as we work through this book is that Jonah spending time in the, the belly of the fish isn't, a good, isn't the best way because it's not the only way that Jesus saw a connection to himself. We're going to see that Jonah pointing the people to repentance and away from sure destruction is another way that Jesus saw Jonah pointing to himself. Jesus is a better Jonah because where Jonah was reluctant and faithless, God is faithful and willing. So if we go ahead and open up or go to Jonah, we'll go ahead and start. We're going through all four chapters now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amadi, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? 
And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord, out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up. You brought up my life from the pit. O oh Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I will tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, 
God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you do not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? So was the reading of God's word. So I know that was a lot, but we're going to work through it together. Chapter 1 introduces us to the main character, Jonah, in the situation, but not much background is given for either. It starts abruptly with this call from God to go to this great city of Nineveh, which happens to be an enemy of the nation of Israel because it's part of Assyria. And it's full of wickedness and call it to repent. But Jonah responds like, no dog, that ain't for me, and tries to run the opposite direction, tries to outrun the very presence of God. To help you guys see how far he's trying to run, let's look at distances. We don't know exactly where Jonah was when he was called, but his birthplace, according to 2 Kings, is about 50 miles north of Joppa. And Joppa was the coastal town on the Mediterranean Sea that he left from, and Nineveh is the modern-day city of Mosul, Iraq, about 750 miles to the east. So it's still going to be a trek that he needs to take. But instead, he tries to go to the city of Tarshish, which is on the southern coast of Spain, some 3,000 miles in the opposite direction. And that's some real distance that he's trying to put between himself and where God has called him to go. But before we go crushing on Jonah too hard, we need to remember that we're never the heroes of the biblical story. When have you most recently rebelled against God's word? Who has the Holy Spirit been prompting you to share the good news of Jesus with, but you haven't? A coworker, a friend, a family member? Yeah, we're all like Jonah here in this story. This running away was an act of rebellion on the part of Jonah, but God doesn't respond with anger and wipe him out immediately. Rather, he brings about a situation that drives Jonah to either recognize and confess his sin or perish. Now, sin is any wrongdoing or violation of God's commands. God is not just some old man in the sky that we can choose to listen to or not without any fear of repercussions. 
When we sin and rebel against God, there are going to be consequences. And those consequences are not always limited to just affecting us, though, as we see here in the story. The storm the Lord brought about was strong enough to rip apart the boat and kill all of the idol-worshiping sailors right alongside Jonah. We know that God does not condone or cause sin, but here we see that God can use people's sin to show his power and his mercy. After the mariners recognize that their efforts to outrun the storm are futile, they do the only logical thing they can think of and throw one of their passengers overboard and hope the Lord is faithful to calm the sea. And the Lord does calm the sea, displaying both his power and his mercy. The mariners see that the gods that they had been praying to could not do anything to help them, but that the Lord, the God of heaven, is able to. So they respond to his faithfulness by believing in him and offering sacrifices. So now we have Jonah treading water in the middle of the sea, and I can imagine the fear that he must have. There was no category in his mind for being swallowed by a fish as a means of safety. And I think he recognized that his punishment for rebellion was death. When he told those guys to throw him in the water, it was to save their lives at his expense for the trouble that he brought about. The Bible doesn't tell us how long he was treading water, and there's nothing that Jonah has other than hope and prayer that God would do something miraculous to rescue him. But God is faithful. He has a plan to bring about the repentance of the Ninevites, and Jonah flailing around in the middle of the sea is not going to stop that plan. So like all the stories highlight, God sends a big old fish to swallow Jonah to rescue him. Now I'm not sure about you, but I would be freaking out if I was swallowed by a fish. I don't even like going more than like thigh deep in open water because I don't want to be bitten by a shark, much less swallowed by a fish. The whole thing here is miraculous because there's no breathable air in the stomach of a fish, but God appointed this fish to have what was necessary to allow Jonah to survive. We don't know how it all worked, and that's not the point of the story, but we know that it is true because Jesus refers to this portion of the story of Jonah as a real event in Matthew chapter 12 when he says, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man, referring to himself, be there three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. While Jonah's in the fish's belly, he prays to the Lord, and this prayer is one of thanksgiving. Jonah knew that apart from God, his death was certain. He knew the commands and promises of God, and that rebellion leads to death and destruction unless repentance occurs. Jonah thanks God for being faithful to him by rescuing him. In verse 9 of chapter 2, we see Jonah correctly placed the acknowledgement that salvation does indeed belong to the Lord. In verse 10, we see that it's after Jonah recognizes and confesses this, that the Lord commands the fish to release Jonah. And with Jonah's heart and mind temporarily reoriented towards obeying God, he gets spit up on the shore and again receives instruction from the Lord to go to Nineveh and be his mouthpiece. And this time, Jonah goes. Now, Nineveh was a big city, one that would take three days to walk to from end to end, and it's full of wickedness. Remember that this city was not in Israel, so they did not worship the God of Abraham. 
And yet Jonah's the guy whose job it is to go and tell them to repent or be destroyed. It's not a pleasant speech to give to a group of people you don't even know. Or it can even be more uncomfortable telling those that you're close to about this. But it is the most loving thing that can be done. We are called to do the same thing today to those around us. Jesus told his disciples at the end of Matthew that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Followers of Jesus, we must warn those around us that they must repent or be destroyed. Even when we feel uncomfortable or scared or inadequate or think that we're unprepared. Don Whitney wrote this about evangelism, and evangelism simply means telling others about the good news of what Jesus has done. He says, I think the seriousness of evangelism is the main reason it frightens us. We realize that in talking with someone about Christ, heaven and hell are at stake. The eternal destiny of the person looms before us. And even when we rightly believe that the results of this encounter rest in God's hands and that we bear no accountability for the person's response to the gospel, we still sense a solemn duty to communicate the message faithfully, as well as the holy dread of saying or doing anything that might rise as a stumbling block to this person's salvation. Even though it can seem intimidating, it shouldn't be. God is the only one who can save them anyways. He's the one that will convict them of sin, and he is the one that can bring them from death to life. Our part is simply to open our mouths and call those around us to repent and believe the gospel, and the gospel being the good news of God's plan of redemption through the person and work of Jesus. So Jonah did as he was commanded this time and walked into the middle of the city and called for the Ninevites to repent, which they did wholeheartedly. We see in chapter 3, verse 5, that the people of Nineveh believed God. And in verse 8, we see the king called for everyone to turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Look again at who it was the people believed. It wasn't Jonah that they believed. It was the person who sent Jonah that they put their trust in. Their putting on sackcloth and fasting was a way to show a sign of grief at the recognition of their sin and a sign of their repentance. They did this hoping that their acts of repentance would convince the Lord to not destroy them as had been proclaimed by Jonah. And God does see what they did. But more important than them putting on sackcloth was that they actually turned from their evil way. So the Lord relented from his planned destruction. Again, we see God's faithfulness to forgive when sinners repent. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God has always been and always will be faithful to those who turn to him. The Ninevites repenting from their sin at Jonah's proclamation was the second sign of Jonah that Jesus pointed to. He says this in Luke, for as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. But even though Jonah did as God commanded, 
his heart was not in the right place. Look with me at the beginning of chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Jonah just saw a whole city turn to God from their wickedness. And this was his response. It doesn't really make sense. And verse 2 doesn't get any better when he says, And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Here we learn why Jonah ran from God in the first place. It was because he knew the character of God. But despite this knowledge about God, he was hoping that they would not repent so he could watch them be destroyed. Now Jonah gladly accepted God's grace and mercy earlier in this story when he rebelled and asked for forgiveness, but he did not want God to do the same here. Jonah can be described as one who knew orthodoxy, which is right thinking or understanding about God, as in head knowledge, but completely lacked orthopraxy, which is the right practice of religion or heart knowledge. Jonah shows us that it's not enough just to know the right things about who God is or to even rightly understand his attributes if that does not lead us into taking appropriate action with the right attitude towards it. Adapting Ray Ortland a little bit makes this point really clear. Orthodoxy without orthopraxy is hypocrisy because it doesn't show Jesus' love for people. But orthopraxy without orthodoxy is fragile because it's based on feelings rather than truth. However, when you have both orthodoxy and orthopraxy, you have a powerful display of the gospel. So how much does God's faithfulness to forgive the Ninevites bother Jonah? Verse 3 tells us that Jonah prayed, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. This guy would rather have died than see God forgive this nation. So he goes and he sits on a hill to see what happens, hoping that the Ninevites would still be destroyed. So God grows this plant for Jonah during his self-pity party to provide shade for him as a kindness. And Jonah is incredibly happy that God did this for him. But the next day, when God caused the plant to die, Jonah again freaks out and says it's better for him to die. But where does this all come from? It comes from his anger. Anger itself is just an emotion. It's not inherently good or bad. It just is. It is the cause of and response we have to this emotion that matters. There is such a thing as good and righteous anger that comes from seeing wrongdoing or injustice go unpunished. But that is not what we see here. Here we see the ugly, unrighteous anger that shows up when our own expectations are not met or our own sense of perverted justice or entitlement is not realized. Unrighteous anger distorts reality and can make us think and act in ways that are irrational. Hear me when I say that this is an area that I still need Jesus to continue improving on in me, and I don't think I'm the only one like that in this room. An example of this would be yelling at your spouse or your kids for disrupting or disturbing you during whatever it is that you're doing or focused on. 
is beating that next level on your phone app or giving whatever show you're watching your undivided attention that that important to you, that yelling is an appropriate response? And that's a pretty obvious example of unrighteous anger. But I think we can all relate to the much more insidious form of unrighteous anger that never leaves our heads. An example of this would be when you're at the office or work from home and someone is given a promotion over you, even though you have more experience, seniority, or whatever other reason you can think of. Rather than being happy for them, you fake the funk and congratulate them, all the while thinking to yourself how much more you deserved that promotion, how much better you are than them, how that person only got the job because they're a suck-up, or any number of other reasons that you can think of. You may be able to smile on the outside, but your heart and mind are filled with anger. This type of anger, no matter the cause, is sin. Please repent of this sin. God is faithful to forgive you. So how does God respond to Jonah's unrighteous anger about this plant dying? Look at the last two verses of the book with me. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in the night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? God is making a point that the lives of people, his image bearers, are so much more important than that of a plant. God is the one who made the plants, the people, and the animals, and he does care for all of them. God has a plan to redeem the plants, the animals, and most importantly, people from the curse of sin since before the world was even created. And we see that Jonah was not the plan. He was a sign pointing to the one who is the plan. Jonah was reluctant to go and tell people to repent in order to receive forgiveness. He spent time in the belly of a fish as a result of his rebellion. And on top of that, Jonah gets mad after seeing God faithfully forgive an entire nation who turns to him. All these point to needing someone better. And that better person is Jesus, God in the flesh. So whereas at the beginning of the story, Jonah ran from his calling, Jesus did the opposite and willingly accepted his calling. Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus came and called people to repentance, all while knowing the excruciating death that awaited him, because he is the faithful God that Jonah rightly describes as the one who is gracious and merciful, who is slow to anger and abounds in steadfast love. Where Jonah spent time in the belly of the fish as a means to be rescued, Jesus spent time in the grave as a means to rescue us from the coming disaster that is eternity in hell. Romans 6 tells us that Jesus' death on the cross and time in the grave destroyed the dominion of death because death could not hold him. His resurrection, or raising himself up from the dead, purchased the freedom from sin and death for those who repent of their sins and turn to the Lord. 
As you consider what Jesus did to redeem you, do you gladly accept for yourself the grace, mercy, forgiveness, and deliverance that Jesus provides? Are you loving others by telling them about the faithfulness of God? Are you being like Jonah, who wanted to keep it to himself and to those he deemed worthy of the message? Do you enjoy thinking you rightly know who God is as he reveals himself in the Bible, but aren't sharing the good news with others? What good is that knowledge if it doesn't lead you humbly to share it? Knowing the impending destruction others face in hell for all eternity, while withholding the good news of the possibility of redemption through Jesus, is a really messed up thing to do. You can know you rightly understand the gospel and the grace that it gives when you recognize the gift that you were given and share that gift with others. Orthodoxy should lead you to humbly into orthopraxy as the Holy Spirit transforms you to look more like Christ. I pray that he will. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your love for us, for your kindness and your mercy. Lord, that you sent Jesus to come and purchase our freedom when we didn't want it. We definitely didn't deserve it, but still, you poured out your love for us. God, as we seek to know the truth of who you are and to rightly understand you as, you, as we study your word, Father, I pray that the knowledge we learn takes the 18-inch path from our head to our heart. Lord, let us not be a people who just know the word, but a people who practice the word, who share the word, who are examples of your love, Jesus, to those around us. Father, I pray that you will move in our hearts. Holy Spirit, transform our minds. Help us to love others and see others the way that you do without any preconditions, just as people, image bearers that you died for. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.